Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Is there a difference between being creative and thinking creatively? While both skills are necessary parts of a learning experience, many activities highlight the act of creativity, primarily aesthetic in nature, without emphasizing necessarily the companion skill of thinking creatively. In today's show, we'll be learning about how puzzles can help students and adults refine their skills in thinking creatively. Eric Berlin is the author of three puzzle-filled mysteries, The Puzzling World of Winston Breen, The Potato Chip Puzzles, and The Puzzler's Mansion, published by G.P. Putnam Sons. These books have received great acclaim with 13 separate state award nominations. Eric has created dozens of crossword puzzles and uh, and other puzzles for the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Wall Street Journal, Games Magazine, and many other outlets. He has created live puzzle events for schools, companies, and organizations, including the Connecticut Science Center, the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament, and the Connecticut Library Association. Eric is a member of the National Puzzlers League and lives in Milford, Connecticut with his wife and two children. Eric, welcome to Teaching Matters. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you with us. This is a very interesting topic. So to begin with, do you agree with the thesis that I sort of laid out that there is somewhat of a distinction between the act of being creative, where you might create something that is more aesthetic in orientation, and a similar but distinct skill in thinking creatively? Yeah, I suppose whenever you're being creative, it has to be said that you're thinking creatively. But I do think there's a distinction to be made between creating something, a picture, a song, a poem, and facing down a problem that some outside force has thrown at you. But when you're creating something out of nothing, there's no, there's no right answer. Uh, if you're painting a picture of a cat and it doesn't look like a cat, well, that's okay. You go back and try again. Practice makes perfect and all that. Uh, when you're facing a challenge that requires a creative solution, there really is a wrong answer and a correct answer, or at least an, an optimal answer. Uh, and finding that answer requires a slightly different skill set from the act of pure creation, though I do think the two skills are, are closely connected. Yeah, I would agree. I, my, my motivation in asking that question really came from examples that, you know, that I've done some reading about, like the, uh, the, the moon race where we were challenged uh, by, uh, you know, the president really, to figure out a way to put a person on the moon and, and also other examples like that where people with uh, significant expertise in a certain area had to bring creative thinking to the, the way that they would solve problems, which is sort of the distinction I make. I agree with you that they're very related, obviously, uh, but, but I think thinking creatively is, is sometimes not talked about by educators as much. Now, you describe yourself as a lifelong puzzler. How, and using your own experiences, how, how do you think that your skills in thinking creatively have been enhanced over you know, the development of your lifetime uh, because of uh, your involvement with puzzles? Uh, well, of course, there's many different kinds of puzzles out there. You have word puzzles and number puzzles, mechanical puzzles, uh, the, the puzzles that you see in video games. Taken as a whole, though, uh, puzzles teach you how to ask the right questions when you're facing a real-life problem. Uh, how can I break this down? How can I make it more manageable? Um, what, can I what can I accomplish now? What's going to have to wait till later? Uh, what resources do I have? What resources can I get? Um, these are 
minor variations on the questions that people ask themselves as they tackle a puzzle that somebody has given them. Uh, and I have found that I treat as puzzles a lot of things that other people will sort of just call problems. Mm -hmm. You know, even the act of getting through a day. How do I optimize my time? How do I manage to get everything done? Do I go here first? Do I go there first? I can't help but treat that as a as a puzzle. That and many other things. So you really explicitly link the the process of solving a puzzle to being similar to what we might describe as a general problem-solving process. Mm-hmm. I love the um, historical examples that I've come across of, of people solving really tough problems because they treated them like puzzles that they had to apply creative thinking to. And they have the aha moment that says, oh, I know how I'm going to do this now. Uh, if I can give a, a quick example. Oh, please. Uh, there's, um, there's the example of Henry Knox, who was uh, George Washington's captain of the artillery. He had to somehow transport hundreds of tons of cannons across the frozen Hudson River. And the, the river and the river was frozen, but it wasn't so frozen that you could walk a, a one-ton cannon over it. Um, but he came up with this brilliant idea of cutting holes in the ice on the river. When I talk to kids at schools, I, I say, why do you think he cut holes in the ice on the river? And they look at me baffled and I explain he was able to get to the water underneath that ice and they splashed it all over the ice and waited for it to freeze. And they did that again and again and again until they had a rock hard floor of ice. And then they were able to get across the river. That's just such an elegant little solution to such a nasty little problem. Uh, I admire it so much. So in, in your work, uh, at least as much as I've, I've learned about you, you've actually sort of had two separate initiatives to try to provide uh, teachers, parents, students with resources uh, that involve puzzles. One of those initiatives were the three books that you've created, which you describe as mysteries that include puzzles. Can you talk about what those books are and sort of uh, who, who they're intended for? Sure. Uh, it's a series of books called The Puzzling World of Winston Breen. And the main character, Winston, is a 12-year-old puzzle fanatic, just like I used to be when I was 12 years old. Uh, and in each of the books, he and his friends get involved in a treasure hunt or a contest or a game where there are a number of puzzles that need to be solved. And when Winston faces a puzzle, so does the reader. Now, the reader doesn't have to solve it, of course. It's not a requirement. Uh, if you're enjoying the story, just skip over the puzzle and keep reading. That's fine. But I do hope that uh, that readers try some of the puzzles along the way. And you and I were talking uh, before we started the recording about sort of the age group uh, where these books might be most appropriate. They're middle grade novels, uh, which means I, I wrote them for ages 9 to 12. Um, I've had, uh, fans as young as seven write to me, you know, gifted kids who tell me that my puzzles are too easy. <laughs> and, uh, I have teenage readers and even adult readers, you know, if you like puzzles, you're going to like these books. Very good. Now, the other resource that you've created, uh, which is in some ways companion, I suppose, uh, is a website called Puzzle Your Kids. And we'll have this linked in the text, uh, that accompanies the podcast, but it's puzzleyourkids.com, all one word. Uh, can you explain in general terms, what that website provides in terms of resources and perhaps uh, who, th who that website is really intended for, who could benefit most by visiting it. There aren't a lot of decent puzzles for kids out there, I've discovered. 
uh, and I wanted to change that. So at PuzzleYourKids.com, I'm creating variety crosswords uh, that kids as young as nine years old can solve, maybe with a little help from a parent or a teacher, but these are meant to be crossword-style puzzles that even kids can solve. Uh, I send out one puzzle each week for free to my subscribers or two puzzles a week to those who uh, support me with a small fee. Now, we're going to go into detail about what the puzzles, sort of how you create them uh, in just a moment. But one, one question that, that comes to mind before we leave this sort of introductory set of questions, uh, in addition to the website and the books, you also noted that you have done what I'm going to describe as consulting uh, projects where you've done live puzzling events. Can, can you explain what that might look like for an organization that wants to bring you in? Uh, what I do is I create a, a small set of puzzles that teams work together to solve. Uh, I love solving puzzles on my own, but I really love solving them with a team of friends. It, it just makes it so much more fun. You, you've got a little piece of an answer. Somebody else has another little piece of the answer. You put it together, and you have this collaborative aha moment. That is uh, what I shoot for when I create these team events. So I create the set of puzzles. I give them to the team all at once. Uh, they work together. And the first teams to collaborate successfully and reach the finish line, they get the prize, or at least they get the, the victory of having been first. So it's this collaborative solving uh, event. It's usually themed. Uh, the, the, um, the event I ran most recently for the Connecticut Library Association, since it was the Library Association, I, I did a uh, Escape from the Haunted Library. <laughs> you had a, a number of puzzles all based on different literary monsters, and you had to take their answers and put them together, and that's how you learned who trapped you here and how you were uh, meant to escape. It's a lot of fun. It's, uh, watching these people solve these puzzles is just, it's almost as much fun as solving them myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the, uh, the the added component of the collaborative nature, of course, I, I use a lot of collaboration in the, in the courses that I teach, and, and I could see how having a, a tangible problem uh, really provides an opportunity to not only learn about the creative process of, of problem solving, but also how you do that in a group where you have to negotiate uh, potential uh, steps and potential uh, avenues for solving the problem. I'm sure there's a lot of benefit that 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 spins out from that. Yeah, I, I myself go to puzzle events several times a year where I'm on a team with my friends. I, I, I love doing this. Uh, the largest one each year is at uh, MIT in Cambridge. Uh, that's the home of the MIT Mystery Hunt. Thousands of people come in from all over the country to solve hundreds of the nastiest puzzles you have ever set eyes on. I mean, they're just like no other puzzles you've ever seen. They rarely have instructions. And it's just up to you and your teammates to tackle these individual puzzles. What is this? How do we go about solving it? Oh, I see. I've made an observation, and I think maybe that will be helpful in this way. And then somebody else picks up the ball and says, if that's true, then, oh, we can do this. And soon the entire room is filled with this solving energy as this aha moment just crashes over everybody it's uh it's a blast yeah it, it, it sounds like a lot of fun so this is an actual is this like framed as a competition or is it just you know is, is it a tournament or how does it work it is a competition insofar as the team that wins the MIT mystery hunt has the responsibility of putting on the next MIT mystery <laughs> hunt 
Uh, most people who attend have no aspirations to doing that because it's an awful lot of work. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, so they just go for the pure fun of it, mm -hmm. you know, to see what this year's crop of puzzles is going to be like to get together with your teammates and, and to solve them. Yeah, very good. So focusing on the, the puzzles that uh, you create specifically for your website, Puzzle Your Kids, I, I, I've looked through several examples, and I, I'm going to describe what I sort of took away from that, but then I want you to elaborate from your perspective as the creator. When I looked at them, they were certainly reminiscent of the type of puzzles that I might see in my daily or weekly newspaper or a magazine, uh, you know, that I would run across in a doctor's office or a workbook that my daughter might use at school. But, but they, 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 to me, went a step beyond that in the sense that there was um, maybe a more added element of design to them, and they were a little bit trickier, but not insurmountable. I, so those were some of the phrases that I wrote down in thinking about what I saw, but maybe you could describe for the listeners sort of what you're trying to put together and that students would experience if they uh, worked on some of those puzzles. Uh, people who solve the, the daily crossword in a newspaper um, might come away thinking that that is the chief way that they're, you know, the, the main way of weaving words together is the standard crossword. Some words go across, other words go down, boom, you've got your crossword. But there's dozens, if not hundreds of ways of weaving words together. Uh, and I like exploring that. And that's why I create what I call variety crosswords. Um, in a variety puzzle, it's not just a cross and down. Words are weaved together in, uh, well, in more interesting ways. You might have a string of words that runs backwards through the puzzle. You might have words that follow a winding path. The words might go in circles. They twist around this way or that way. Um, in this way, each puzzle can have its own very distinct challenge. You can't approach this week's puzzle in the same way that you approached last week's puzzle. I want to give kids and anybody who solves my puzzle, that that little extra challenge. Hmm. Yeah, so it definitely, it, it, you, I like how you describe that, that you can't develop a routine because of the way that your puzzles are constructed. Each one presents a unique challenge to be solved in the design of the puzzle itself. I, I like that descriptor. So in terms of the topics um, that your puzzles cover, of course, you know, in modern education, uh, teachers and administrators are very concerned with things like the common core and the need to align um, activities of students to uh, essentially predefined learning outcomes. Do the puzzles that you create in any way map to those in an explicit way? Um, or would a teacher have an ability to figure out how to map those to the lessons they're trying to create? Well, my puzzles do not have uh, exclusive subject matter. I don't do the science puzzle or the geography puzzle. Each puzzle, um, while I keep the, uh, the vocabulary 100% kid-friendly, they cover a wide variety of subject, subject matter in each puzzle. But what subjects are covered do map to common core subjects. You've got your country names and your city names. You've got terminology from math and science and history all mixed in there. Um, that said, I want these puzzles to be fun first and educational second. So all that learning stuff is mixed in with pop culture and everyday words that I hope and expect that most kids will know. 
Mm-hmm. So if you could put your yourself into the uh, the mindset of a classroom teacher then that, that does have these external forces that are dictating large chunks of the time that they spend with their students, if, if she wanted to incorporate your puzzles, uh, it wouldn't be that I'm doing my science unit um, for this hour and so there's a puzzle ready made for that. But she says, I want to incorporate puzzles in. Have you talked with teachers about sort of the strategies that they're using in terms of integrating puzzles into their classroom? classroom? Uh, is it something that they, you know, do they do it on a daily basis as just part of getting students ready to learn? Um, is it something that they do on Fridays as sort of a fun learning activity to end the week? I mean, what are some examples of how teachers are integrating this? I haven't yet spoken to teachers. Uh, I have hundreds of teachers who who download my puzzles. I have not yet spoken to them. I've only been doing uh, this for about a, uh, about six weeks or so. Ah, okay. Um, I do intend to do a survey of teachers somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. I suspect and I sincerely hope that kid that, that the teachers are simply printing out the puzzles and making them available uh, to the kids. Either just putting them on the desk or handing them out to the kids they know will most enjoy them. Just making them generally available. Even though they're not keyed to a particular subject, I hope these teachers understand that a puzzle, a good puzzle, always has some value for young learners. It doesn't have to be connected to any particular lesson. A kid who's solving a puzzle is a kid who's thinking. Um, The act of reading a crossword clue and mentally reaching out for possible answers, that's a skill worth developing. Uh, we want our kids to be good communicators, and part of that is having uh, the right words at hand at the moment that you need them. And word puzzles help enormously in that regard. Uh, we talk about how kids should be reading every day, and I completely agree with that, of course. But I also think that kids should be solving something every day. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I don't want to add uh vocabulary to your explanation unless you're willing for it to happen. But in some previous programs, you know, we've talked with um, uh, faculty and and teachers and scholars about the importance of metacognition and how, um, you know, at a very early age, students need to develop an understanding of their own thinking processes, whether that be about creative thinking or about problem solving or about verbalizing their knowledge uh, and, and so on and so forth. And you know, as I was thinking about your puzzles and not really knowing how you would answer the question about it mapping to standards, but I but I had a hunch. You know, one of the ways if I was a teacher that I would use this is a way to get students um, maybe at the beginning of a day uh, into the act of thinking um, about their thinking because the puzzles provide, from my perspective, a very good avenue and vehicle for doing that. Uh, and, and and then there's a lot of other residual benefits that you pointed out, that they are interacting with um, factual information about things like city names, about vocabulary, uh, and, and maybe there's a word that they figure out but they don't really understand the true meaning of that word. Well, that opens up a pot potential for discussion. So, so I think there's a lot of great uh, classroom applications. Let's think about parents. Um, so it's not just teachers that can uh, sign up for your uh, your free puzzles uh, or support, you know, with a very small charge getting additional puzzles from you. Um, parents could also do that. Um, and, and if you were thinking about advice for parents, how might they think about for their son or daughter ways that they might use your puzzles uh, to augment what they would be getting from classroom instruction? The best way for a parent to use these puzzles with their kids is to simply watch and listen as their kids solve the puzzles. It is a great way to learn 
what your kids know and where the gaps are. And every parent is going to be astonished at, oh, my son knew that word? Wow. Or how does my son not know that? How did that gap get there? And you can, you know, go in and step in and have a conversation with your kid as a result. Uh, If your child is stuck, don't reveal the answer. Don't just, just don't tell them the answer. Offer a nudge. Uh, Talk about a context where your child might have encountered that word. And if they still don't know it, well, then, okay, you teach them the word. Have a discussion about it. You talked about, you know, not knowing a word leading to a whole discussion. That's ideal to have a whole discussion about a, a, a gap in the kid's knowledge. Go online and read something about it. Go watch videos about, you know, the breed of dog that your child never heard of before. Completing the puzzle is all well and good, but having that conversation and learning something new, uh, that's what makes it really worthwhile. Now, in in previous programs with some other guests, um, there's been a reoccurring theme of several people talking about expertise and and, and you talking about your own experience, not just creating puzzles, but also engaging in the MIT challenge, et cetera. You clearly have a high level of expertise surrounding this topic of puzzles. As you reflect on your observations, not only about your own development, uh, but also the people that you interact with regularly and and, uh, the groups that that you interact with, have you observed how people develop expertise surrounding solving puzzles? And if so, how would you describe that process? In other words, how, how do you see when a person goes from being sort of a novice puzzle solver to going along a continuum where they develop greater and greater levels of expertise? What are some of the steps that you would recognize in seeing a person develop along that path? Uh, well, through solving crosswords and variety puzzles like what I make, Uh, You develop a better connection to the English language. Uh, You develop an instinct for letter patterns. Without really being conscious of it, you find yourself saying, well, this space, that's going to be a vowel, or this word's going to end in S. I know that. You develop a feel for it. Uh, And also, the more puzzles you do, the better you get at accessing the information in your own brain. Your recall will definitely improve over time. When you first start solving puzzles, you read a clue and there's this period of, ah, right, what's that word? Ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. But the more you solve, the narrower that gap becomes. The best solvers in the country can sum it up the correct answer so fast, you can't even believe it. It's mind-blowing. And very few of us are going to reach that level of proficiency. But even a modest improvement in our cognitive abilities is an improvement worth making. That that idea of speed and and I I'm going to use the phrase pattern recognition not not in the pattern of just words but also seeing a puzzle and sort of understanding how you break it down is one of the those are two of the reoccurring themes that people have talked about in terms of expertise uh, development and I think it's interesting how uh, you can think about expertise being a process that a person learns. In other words, a lot, of, a lot of times we think about expertise as being, you know, this is my thing and that's why I'm an expert in it. But but I think in reality, we develop levels of expertise in a lot of different areas as we develop as, as individuals. And puzzles is one avenue for developing that that not only will benefit you in solving puzzles, but obviously will also benefit you in other aspects of your life that relates to problem solving, creative thinking, et cetera. I think that's an important point to make. 
Um, you know, our podcast uh, and the reason why we had you on is not to endorse a particular product or service. Uh, and and uh, certainly yours has a free option. And uh, the charge that I saw was very, very nominal. But we do bring people like you on so that we can learn about different strategies and resources uh, and ways of thinking about things. And for you, it's really about the use of puzzles to uh, to develop creative thinking skills. Uh, and as you said, other skills like collaboration. So if, if a parent or a teacher is interested in finding out more about your resources, um, what's a good entry point for them? Should they visit your website? Um, how do they sign up for your, uh, your, your um, uh, free service, et cetera? Uh, if you go to puzzleyourkids.com, that's puzzleyourkids.com, uh, you'll find a couple of sample puzzles right there on the homepage. I suggest you download them and give them a shot or give them to your kids. And uh, if they're to your liking, then it's pretty easy. There's a sign up button again right there on the homepage. You give me your email address. Uh, it's free. I send you uh, a puzzle every week, every Friday. Uh, and if you guys get seriously into puzzles, you can support me for a few bucks a month, and then you get two puzzles every week. And one of the things for the timing of this, uh, given that it's the summer months coming up where um, most most children will not be in school, this might really be a great summer enrichment activity for children. Uh, and so this might be a particularly good time for parents to uh, think about doing this. So, Eric, um, I want to thank you for being on the program today. And the work that you're doing, I think, does provide an important resource that is unique from the types of resources that parents might find in more conventional um, outlets. Uh, whether those be workbooks that they would buy off the shelf or those sorts of things. Uh, I think that your puzzles are very creative in the way that they are put together uh, and that they also, as you said, uh, create great opportunities for dialogue between uh, the teacher, whether that's the parent or a classroom teacher, and the child about how they're developing skills. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. You bet. And, and thanks for your time for being on the program. Again, if you're interested in Mr. Berlin's work about uh, creating puzzles or his mysteries uh, or, or other things like that, you should go to his website, puzzleyourkids.com, all one word. And we will also have this linked in the accompanying text. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Teaching Matters, produced by WUB Public Media. You can always listen at wub.org backslash listen, or also accessing our podcast through Google Play, iTunes, or NPR One. You can also contact the staff of the podcast with questions, ideas, or comments through our Facebook page. Simply go onto Facebook and search for Teaching Matters Podcast, like it, and also uh, send us feedback or questions. Our audio engineer today was Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth on behalf of WOUB Public Media. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Thank you.